This is exactly right. And so we want to we want to gather information and try to get a sense of what might be going on in their inner lives and call out like, hey, I've just noticed like it seems like there are more things that you're saying that haven't happened or not true. And we're not mad. We just want to talk to you about what's going on. And you might just plant a seed because, of course, these conversations are difficult and walk away. Because you're trying to just get this child to think about what they're saying and to know that you're onto them and trying to create a safe environment where they can either admit that they're lying or in many cases, it's just to slowly morph into not lying because they need to save face and you're just trying to guide them in that direction. Now, one more thing I'll say, Laura, before turning it over to you, and I know this came up on a, sh- on a show not that long ago, is the idea of there was a study a, a while back, but it was a study of, you know, a lot of kids will lie right at the beginning. And then if you give them some time, they ultimately tell the truth. And it's like, we just don't want to put them in that, um, you know, that interview room with the, the spotlight in their face, right? And interrogate them because a study showed a, way, a while back that if you keep going back every once in a while over a 24-hour period, by the end of the 24-hour period, most of the kids actually told the truth. So there could be a lot of factors in the situation, a lot of maybe pressure, a lot of fear about getting in trouble, fear of the consequences that all go into this type of behavior. Hello, Parent Footprint listeners. So happy that you are all enjoying our bonus episodes as much as we love to do them. This is another show of Sitting Down with Dr. Dan with our podcast producer, Laura, is back, mom of twins, and she is one of our key people besides Phil, who you also know in making this show happen every single week. Laura, welcome and thank you for all you're doing to keep us moving. Hi, Dr. Dan. Happy spring. I'm thrilled that uh, winter is behind us and what comes with a new season, new listener questions. So I'm going to dive right in because we have five questions today. And all of our questions come in either through a DM on social media, like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or via email. And that address again is podcast at drdanpeters.com. So the first one I love because I remember going through this. Dear Dr. Dan, my eighth grade son is lying all the time. And when he's not, he's telling tall tales and exaggerating the truth. Please help, Dr. Dan. (laughs) That's it. Okay, that's it. So most have had some experience with this um, in some stage of their child's life. Um, Lying is something that people often try on to see if it can work. Um, Lying is also a way to try to get out of trouble. Lying is also a way of pretending to be something that maybe you're not, you know, speaking to these tall tales. Um, it has often has a component of imagination. 
And it also often has a component of identity development and exploration. So when we think of this child's age, we think of this eighth grader, um, we're steeped in identity development. Who am I? How do I look? Who do I belong to? How should I present? How should I talk? Um, How am I going to be a part of the things I want to be a part of and at times say that I'm a part of things that I want to be a part of that I'm not a part of? Um, It's also a time with brain development, with um, the explosion of um, these neurons, and then there's a pruning period, so like total brain under construction, hormone surging, lots of poor (laughs) decision-making, impulsive (laughs) decisions. And, you know, if someone is on the ADHD continuum, that could be worse than just a typical adolescent brain and you know to pick on males like male adolescent brains it's can it's pretty messy um not to minimize female brains as well but i'm just saying when we're talking about males here it could be pretty it could be pretty messy at this time of life and so i always like in these situations guide people to take a step back to see like what's really going on like what has anything changed um uh, is your child growing? Is your child struggling? Now, part of this is hard to tell at times too, because so much of life is now away from you, right? You don't see what's happening on social media. You're often at this age, there's not the same parent community once you get to middle school. Things kind of get much more out of our reach. And it's it. we have to be more of detectives in a way um, with respecting boundaries to kind of get a sense of like, what do we think is going on? And you want to try to have a conversation and not be confrontive. Because when you confront someone who's lying, the the reaction is usually just dig in more, like dig in more. And parents always ask me over the years, like, why we saw this happen or we know this happened. We have evidence. Like, why would someone stick to a lie? And the answer is, if there is like a one or less percent chance of not getting caught, when you know you are, you still you're still going like that. Is they're still going like there is a chance I can win this lottery, and so we want to we want to gather information and try to get a sense of what might be going on in their inner lives and call out like, hey, I've just noticed like it seems like there are more things that you're saying that haven't happened or not true, and we're not mad. We just want to talk to you about what's going on. And you might just plant a seed because, of course, these conversations are difficult and walk away because you're trying to just get this child to think about what they're saying and to know that you're onto them and trying to create a safe environment where they can either admit that they're lying or in many cases, it's just to slowly morph into not lying because they need to save face and you're just trying to guide them in that direction. Now, one more thing I'll say, Laura, before turning it over to you, and I know this came up. On a, sh- on a show not that long ago, is the idea of, there was a study a, a while back, but it was a study of, you know, a lot of kids will lie right at the beginning. And then if you give them some time, they ultimately tell the truth. And it's like, we just don't want to put them in that, um, you know, that interview room with the, the spotlight in their face, right? And interrogate them because a study showed a while back that if you keep going back every once in a while over a 24-hour period, by the end of the 24-hour period, most of the kids actually told the truth. So there could be a lot of factors in the situation, a lot of maybe pressure, a lot of fear about getting in trouble, fear of the consequences that all go into this type of behavior. 
That study is fascinating. And um, I do have a couple of points I wanted to make about this subject. The first is, it just so happens that coincidentally, I have a friend who has a son in eighth grade, and this friend is not the person who submitted the question. But um, I am hearing that she instinctively followed all the right advice without even having that. She Mm. just kind of listened to her intuition. And after doing a little bit of that gentle asking, that bit of seed planting, and they have a rule in their family where um, as parents, they, they pop on to the child's social media a little bit. In middle school, they're still kind of looking at what they're doing on social. And they uncovered some lying. And in turn, through kind of a gent, gentler, respectful planting seeds approach, determined that there was some trauma um, mm. going around for this mm-hmm child for their son. And it turned out to be a little bit of bullying, mm-hmm. but because they didn't do that interrogation room spotlight, backing him into a corner, they were able to kind of figure out what was going on in a non-threatening and supportive way and make a plan. And ultimately this young man wanted to stop lying. Mm-hmm. He was desperate to stop lying and couldn't find a way out. And I think he was trying to paint a picture of something he wasn't. And it was a reaction to the bullying. And so I thought. Hearing that yeah. advice you just gave, mm-hmm. I'm going to pass that on to my friend. But mm-hmm. it's really complex, like you mentioned, and right. um, they a lot of these, you know, young children that are morphing into adolescence and, and dealing with all the things you mentioned. It's really hard for them. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you is just I have I'm laughing because I have distinct memories of my twins at a very young age, trying out lying. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit of, I'm going to say, more on the tall tales stuff in middle school. So developmentally, Dr. Dan, are there some moments where lying, even just in an approximation around certain ages, might be a normal growth pattern and and sort of yeah. maturity? Because I remember our daughter not liking a vegetable, and she'll, she's probably hearing this and saying, I can't believe you're telling this story, but she excused herself to the bathroom during dinner like several times and we later discovered that she was spitting it out like a little tissue putting and then she didn't want to admit it and then i think we just happened to find it because we were like what is going on in there not really putting it all together and i think you know she missed the little pail in the garbage or something and we're like wait a minute why are the edamame beans on the floor right (laughs) so and then it was like oh my gosh she's been putting her vegetables in the in the you know wastebasket in the bathroom and when we asked her she initially lied now this was when she was younger and so yeah i'm wondering um i can't remember the age because you know as you parent longer longer your brain just doesn't isn't i know i know and so i think uh that response is no one wants to get in trouble so it's like it's it's it at times mm. can be it's often a very innocent thing and yes if it becomes a pattern we want to address the pattern we don't want it to be like start to become part of one's personality um but oftentimes that's not the case so in terms of ages often in my experience like you Mm -hmm. get the you know two three four like when you're just learning how the world works and how you can manipulate things with your language and you're uh, managing yeah. certain behavior. And then, of course, I do think um, with the identity development of um, teenagers and adolescents is is another wave. It can happen at any time, but those to me are the biggest yeah. waves. Okay. that That's really just, you know, assuring me all these years yep. later... When it probably doesn't matter, <laughs> I did the right thing with the vegetable. You did, you did. She was just trying to survive the disgusting yeah. vegetables. Yes, yes, uh, but yes. you know now yes. she loves them, so yes. it all does work out. Okay, um, these are you know these are really 
I feel like somebody, you know, must have spied on my own like parenting diary. This is your life. Okay. Number two, this is also my life. And I'm going to, I won't say my child's name or which child it was, but I'm just going to say, oh, this one's kind of for you too. My child doesn't say boy or girl, but my child wants to quit piano lessons. Oh, wait, it says, should we let her? So it's a she. We don't know the age. She, but no age. No. And um, the thing that I'm going to let you talk about is the word quit because that's what jumped out to me. And then um, I have some things to say as well. Yes, from your experience, clearly. Yes. Um, And we have this experience in our family as well with the piano um, and uh, and other things. I, (laughs) this is a tough one. This really is a tough one because um, this to me goes both ways and it's a fine line. There, it's really normal for kids to not want to practice. Um, And I think, sometimes the intensity of the practice or perhaps the experience with the teacher, um, if it's not a good match and is really stressful, can turn a love and enjoyment and interest into something that someone doesn't want to do. And I think that's when parents have to see, should we be more flexible? Because they're, again, I want to quit means something. Either it's too hard, it's too stressful, I don't really like it. I don't really want to do it this much. And so I think these are all the things that need to be asked. And the reason it's tough is because we do want to have instill, hey, things are hard. It's hard to learn something new. It's hard to get better at something and to perform in any way that we are wanting to perform. It takes a lot of practice. And we, and we don't want to just quit and give up on a regular basis. So that's important. And we also need to, on the other side, listen to our child. If they're really miserable for some reason and really don't want to do something, you have to ask yourself, um, is this worth it? Is this worth the stress? Is this worth the relationship? Is this worth the conflict? Is this worth the consequences? Now, having um, several, knowing several people who are wonderful piano players, I know that several said, you know, I really am grateful my parents didn't let me quit. Because now I can play and I love to play and I play it, you know, when our, our gatherings and I play with the family. And I know plenty of other people who said like, you know, I really appreciate that my parents finally let me stop because I didn't like it and I was miserable. So I really think it's a case by case situation. Yes. What is what 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 is yes. your personal oh, experience? Laura wisdom. So yes. um, one of the things I want to just widen your answer with is this question doesn't tell us what is the impetus behind these lessons? So Mm -hmm. is this child led? I really want to play piano. Haven't given it a lot of time and now they're ready to quit or she's ready to quit. Mm -hmm. Or is it a little bit of helicopter parenting, tiger parenting? We want to get that, you know, resume and college application going, even though you're just in elementary school and you need to play the piano. So part of it is where is it coming from? And I'm going to say if If it's an ask on the part of the child, which is our experience, trying it out for a little bit longer than the kind of initial period where it might be difficult and getting used to it, and then reassess. I personally tried in in parenting our twins not to impose, we think this is good, you have to do it. More of, we did more of an approach of a menu of options. We want you to have some extracurricular activities and, you know, age appropriate, of course, but 
have a little something to do. So, you know, do you want to try an, a musical instrument? Do you want to try a sport, Girl Scouts, volunteering, something at church, and trying to just show by example also that we were involved in different things mm -hmm. and that, you know, kind of enriches your life, but that when you are young, and this was our, our middle school music teacher um, said this to both of our kids, when you are in this kind of young developmental phase, now is the time to experiment. So maybe you try piano and you really know after six months, again, if the parents can afford it and all of those, you know, economic things are not restrictions, maybe you're going to try the clarinet or you're going to try the recorder. And, you know, a lot of schools do have instruments that, you know, are kind of, you can just use them. You know, they've been donated and, you know, it's a sixth or seventh grader or even a fifth grader. And they're just kind of playing around with stuff and they realize, I really want to try the drums. And so there is a little bit of that. If there's a musical interest and maybe you've picked the wrong instrument, we yeah. have that experience in our family. So yeah. I want to mention that. And then I have to also put on my other hat as a special needs parent mm -hmm. where um, the opposite experience is, you know, seeing some interest from that child, but there may be some physical miles, um, physical challenges that, mm -hmm. that make it like Hard. even reaching basic yeah. milestones, you can't manipulate piano keys because your fine motor skills are not right. going to develop past a certain right. point. And then it's really a, is this activity going to in fact make this child feel bad or badly about yes. you know, his or her challenges? And so what would be a better thing? And, and again, like in that. our experience, yeah. realizing the fine motor skills needed for a piano were just a lot, but the same musicality could be fulfilled with drums, mm -hmm. right? Think about just the manipulation of drumsticks versus, you know, your 10 fingers on the piano. Yeah. And so I have to say that again, um, not having a lot of background on this particular question, you know, profile of the child, I want to just sort of put all this out on the table because I think in your case yeah. by case, methodology that that's part of it too if yep. it's becoming an actual task that is physically hard for the child yeah that really has to be addressed because Agreed. then it's not fun for the parents or the young student and no you one wanna, is winning no no and you don't want to kind of like um snuff out that love of music yeah. so i'm hoping we answered dear wonderful instagram dmer in a way that gives you some guidance on how best to approach your child. So moving on to question number three, this is really appropriate, Dan, because I have been remarking to almost everyone I know lately that we're recording this in March. It's airing at the end of March. It's three years since the pandemic mm -hmm. shut everything down in that big way for yeah. a few weeks where it was just, you know, the streets of New York city were empty. Everyone was inside. We weren't sure if we should even, you know, get mm -hmm. groceries. And so, this probably, you know, fits in with, with kind of that looking back came in from email and it says, we've skipped summer camp the last few summers because of COVID. And now our kids don't want to go. Do we let them decide as working parents? We were counting on two weeks of sleepaway camp plus day camp too. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention is it sounds like from the rest of the email that probably looking at late elementary school age or mm -hmm. early middle school. Not, mm -hmm. um, there was a little note that just said we can't totally leave our kids alone. Right. I'm assuming okay. that's an age. Yeah. Thing. 
Yeah. So, I mean, in some respects, this is similar to the last question in terms of, you know, who decides, like who decides piano is happening or not happening. In this case, who decides Mm -hmm. that summer camp is happening or not happening. Now, context, a lot of people were in the groove of going away to summer camp and then summer camps shut down. Um, Some have continued to shut down. Others in the past that were able to stay open were very different. Um, But a lot of people who went to summer camp didn't. And so it's hard to think about going and stretching when you're at that age again, perhaps if you haven't done it for a while and um, you're comfortable at home and you don't want to be away from your parents. And so I think it's, I think summer camps are one of the most affirming, enhancing growth opportunities for kids. Um, particularly summer camps that you feel good about, you know, that are reputable. Um, And I do think that parents need time alone and a break from your kids for your own health. And I, I would push like, I, again, you don't want to push a child over the edge. You don't want to push into if there's mental health issues going on, if there's severe anxiety, if there's depression, all that stuff needs to be taken into account. I would have the conversation about why you think summer camp is important for the whole family. And I think it's important for kids to know that what parents' personal needs are and that you have personal needs that you really need to have your own time together. And it's you, it's important that they get experiences that you can't provide for them in their house that, that exist by going away to summer camp and making friends and trying new things. And so I, I would push as much as you can to make it happen. You know in your gut when you're hitting the line and it is just, um, everything's kind of blowing up and it's something's not feeling right. But up until that line, I'm suggesting pushing to make it happen. Well, I know some of our recordings are um, have the video component that you will all eventually see maybe on TikTok or somewhere else, but I'm kind of moving around a lot with some cheering because I agree a hundred percent with this answer. And, um, I think honesty, you always teach us about honesty, having a dialogue, even if the children are on the younger side, respecting their feelings and really listening to them and really hearing what they're saying. Mm -hmm. However, when I think about summer, and I think about the fact that no child needs to be sitting inside on a device in the summer. And so that might be a really rational way to approach the yeah. kids mm-hmm. to basically say, we're not going to hire a babysitter or, you know, a childcare person. So you can like sit inside and do a device, you know, what are you going to do all day that there's a version of a mm-hmm. schedule that is healthy for you. And mm-hmm. so I would say um, just knowing lots of kids on both sides of our family and many of my friends have children of different ages, realizing that, you know, maybe there is like child A and sleeping over at a sleepaway camp, maybe that is too traumatic. You know, that child just maybe not wired for that, but that does not eliminate. You can do a really great Monday through Friday day camp. So I think it's mm-hmm. kind of teasing out and looking at the personalities of the kids as well. Yeah. And if for some reason there's been a change over these years of COVID where someone went willingly and now if you can sort of sleuth out that the sleepover part, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's that part of, oh, 
oh, separation anxiety. And it's not worth right. kind of pushing that far. But I just think there really right. is no place for any child to not have some summer activities. I mean, it's just, it's not good for them. I know from, no. again, having a child with an IEP mm-hmm. that, you know, all children, whether they have special needs, an IEP, a 504, yep. um, or a typical child, that there is some amount of regression and, you know, losing mm-hmm. of skills over the summer. And so to keep the creative brain going, to keep the reading going, social skills building, um, which we all lost for three years, especially yep. the young ones during COVID. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, even if you have to piece together versions of a few camps, if you can't do the full sleep away yep. experience, it, you know, it's right. kind of like you have to do this. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm yep. being too strong. No, in, no, in no. I think, and I want to, I want to further two things that you said, um, or first validate one thing you said, which is mm-hmm. about valuing and validating their feelings. That was mm-hmm. spot on. So number one, we don't we we have our own agendas as parents, but you really want to listen and you really want to acknowledge a person's feelings for not wanting to do something. Like that's if you can't right. acknowledge that, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, so really good point there. Two, it could be the sleep away, you know, the, their separation anxiety, as you point out. This is when you also do practices, right? So if we look at back to oh. cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure therapy. Can't tell you how many kids over the years that um, through in this office that we've helped them and parents go away to fourth grade, um, you know, gold camp or fifth grade nature camp because of Mm -hmm. this anxiety about never being away. And what we would do is we'd start practicing, okay, who's the place that you feel away from home the safest? whether it's grandparents, whether it's cousins, whether it's the best friend, uh, uh, and there's particular parents that it's like a second parent, you feel so comfortable, and you start doing practices of staying away one night and then Love even this. a weekend to gear up. So it's not just like, okay, you're afraid, we won't go. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it is. Sometimes there is too much anxiety. And like you said, it has to be day camp right now. But you can target this and practice this so you're giving the wow. gift of, um, of a skill. You're developing a muscle so a child can step into an experience That's which could, can be life-changing. That, this is why you are Dr. Dan and I am Laura, the producer, because I am just, again, I love how much I learn from every one of these bonus episodes and really every episode we do, but it's brilliant. And, and, and if we think about some of the typical paths that children will grow up and take, you know, eventually they're going to have to sleep somewhere for college. You know, that's, yep. that's me being a generalist, but right, right. so this is a skill you need. And the idea of practicing it is so brilliant. And yet listening to the child, the other thing I want to mention and just spend a minute on is we know our listeners of this show come from diverse backgrounds, all types of definitions of the word family, mm-hmm. all types of economic situations. Yep. And I want to stress that this question spoke to me um, very loudly where it, it says as working parents, right? Because we also know the pandemic and kind of just life in general over these last few years has made childcare really, really, really difficult yep. for parents, for working parents. And so this is a major thing. I mean, when no one, you know, I know wants their kids sitting home doing nothing, but if they can spend time alone, you know, that's fine. That's like maturity, learning how to be responsible, practicing independence. But when you have younger children and you and your partner or husband or wife or whatever are working full time, 
and yep. it's summer and you have these three months looking, you know, <laughs> like looking yep. across the horizon and you have to work and you don't have a lot of vacation time and you don't have a lot of sick time. And maybe you're working an hourly job and you have to take shifts when you get them and they happen to be during the day. You can't adjust your schedule. This is a big deal and this is a reality. And so, um, yeah, you know, I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts about that? So, so maybe there is a pulling together of camp stuff, but do you think it's also like, I don't know, talking to a grandparent or a relative that just maybe they could spend a few hours with that child? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you, you need, you need a break. Like parents, you need a break. You need time That's what for I mean. you. I'm kind of hearing that, yeah. you know, and I know just from right. my own experience and others that full-time working right. parents, when both parents are working, right. That's a lot in the summer. It is. And so, yeah, it, that's where, where there's a village, where there is um, mm-hmm. a co-op, you know, a informal co-op with other friends and families and a lot of families right. pulling together like we did with the hubs during COVID, mm-hmm. um, the safe hubs. So absolutely. And the other thing from drawing on our experience is the best laid plans, don't, they often don't work because one child has a different need or is in a different developmental stage. And mm-hmm. it and it's then it's having to pivot to still get a little bit of what you need, which is what you're addressing. So I think we have to like, there is the home run, everyone goes away and you get a break. And then there's right. what's a triple, what's a double, what's a single. <laughs> and yes. it's ha- trying to be really creative so you can get your time and also so your kids can be, um, you know, taking into account your kids' health. That's great. And I, I know we've spent a lot of time on this question, but it, it feels like it's the intersection of so many things that we've all been living through yeah. the past few years. And, you know, I didn't sort of start some of my answering with this, but, you know, a lot of people have to go back to the office now. So I think that's yep. the difference I'm seeing exactly. in different friends and family members mm-hmm. is that the ability to maybe work from home yeah, and mix it's changing. that in with some changing. parenting, you know, it's sort of, if you want to keep your job, you need to be back in the office. So mm-hmm. I really feel like this this was an important question and a really, really important discussion. Let's dive into um, question number four. This came in on Twitter and um, says, Dr. Dan, our high school daughter is an extrovert. We are a family of introverts, including her younger sister. Any advice for us, Dr. Dan? Oh, man. So that's yeah. Like, <laughs> what is, I don't even know where you start with that, Dan. Well, I think, so this happens. This does happen. I mean, sometimes we get families full of extroverts, and sometimes we get families full of introverts. And when everyone is all aligned, um, it works it, it with less it can work with less conflict or, or different challenges so just this might sound um i mean these words get kicked around a lot but i want to just give some I know. some I'm brief, sort of like, some brief definitions know? right so right. how do they so know often, they are these things but let's just we'll yeah. just so, gonna, of so a simple <laughs> a simple description is extroverts gain their energy from interaction so it's always it's like always wanting to you know be in touch, go do something, talk, like have an activity. Like it just it fills a person up. It's like the go 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 go. It's exhausting for an introvert to be. Mm-hmm. It can be around an extrovert, um, and this happens within couples, of course, too. Um, they're introversion. Introverts often get um, depleted through that same sort of interaction activities 
um, big events, parties. It, it's depleting. And what fills an introvert up is being alone, um, quiet, nature. And again, I'm being very general here. Um, reading, um, just having time to go within and mm-hmm. often liking things more quiet and not liking big parties and big loud movies and big theater stuff. So, and now in between, there are people who are introverts, but have extroversion skills. People say like, oh, you're such an extrovert. And, and that person might be, actually, I'm not. Like I can do it, but only for so long. And it really depletes me, which is why I need to retreat. And that's what makes me an introvert. So to me, part of the reason I'm saying all this is I think these discussions are really important within a family in terms of how we get to know who we are, how we get to know who our family is, understanding people's different profiles, people's different sensory profiles, people's different needs. None is better than the other. Both matter just as much. And yet it's critical for everyone to know who they are and who the people they live with are so they can work together and compromise and have little like, hey, I'm really needing some alone time. Um, Or this is I'm needing it quieter. I'm just going to go out or I'm going to step out of this activity or game night is really fun. But right now I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed. And none Mm -hmm. of this stuff is personal because if you don't give the explanation, it can feel very personal with how people react, introverts react to extroverts. Because then it's the message is, God, you are just too much. Like you, you are overwhelming for us. Like we, and, and it's, it's, it might not be in, in words, but it's like in behavior, in looks, in, um, you know, the, the, the extrovert can just get that feeling like I'm too much. And, um, we just need, we need everyone to know why people are reacting the way they're reacting. And then to come up with a, a plan, like, how do we do this? Like how, how does the extrovert get his or her needs met? How do the introverts get their needs met? And how do everyone work together to respect everyone's orientation. Well, I'm kind of taking this all in because it's interesting to hear about kind of the nuances. And you mentioned um, the word sensory, which I didn't even think about that. That's sort of, you know, what makes you feel good in terms of environments and that, um, you know, all of these words we hear, you know, really can manifest in different ways. And one thing I thought in hearing you just kind of explain maybe the extrovert might feel like he or she is too much. I think on the flip side of that, the introvert could also feel like, oh gosh, something's wrong with me that I don't want to do all those yeah. things. You know, if yeah. you sort of flipped the amount of introverts in this family with extroverts, you know, you might have the opposite experience. And the idea within a family and as the parents is that you're hopefully finding paths to creating harmony in your house and that one is not better than the other. And I like the way you explain kind of the, the tank things. It's sort of the extrovert's tank is filled and fueled up by interactions and activities. Mm-hmm. Um, but the introvert's tank is filled up by sort of quiet time, nature, and maybe being home. Whereas like the stuff the extrovert likes is maybe emptying the introvert's fuel tank. And if the extrovert's not getting what he or she wants, that probably is also hard for that personality. Right. If they're feeling like, wow, we just sit home every night, we don't do anything. So right. I would say that in terms of, you know, so it sounds like it's two sisters, parents are maybe a bit more like the younger sister, but what about coming up with a plan? 
Like, what mm-hmm. about being a little bit deliberate? So oh, for sure, for sure. Maybe the extrovert once a month, they're going to go to like a big, loud, crazy movie and sort of do it up. Right. And then maybe there's a different night where they're playing a card game. Right. At home. And just to make everyone feel seen and heard and that they're, you know, valued in the family, regardless of what maybe their personal preferences are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes getting those needs met outside the family. So like all needs do not need to, I mean, this is of course the village, whether it's biological village, Mm -hmm. friendship village, um, uh, faith-based village, you need, like, ideally we have more than just our, that nuclear, however we describe that these days, family. Mm -hmm. And that needs, if the needs can be met outside, you don't have to have all the needs met. So if the extrovert gets one or two events a month, that might not be enough for her. Which is fine. I mean, it won't be enough for her if she's an extrovert. She's going to need more. <laughs> so it's yeah. like maybe go get sleepovers, go to other activities. So it's it's just knowing like okay. what can you f- what what can the family meet like the the needs of the family, and then what are outside of the family needs as well. That is just it's honored and it's just um, it's discussed in a way that um, everyone understands what those needs are. Um, I also am aware, as you were talking, that we talk about this a lot, actually, during the holidays on our different podcasts and different blogs um, over the years, right? right? Which is how do you deal with the holidays, which is basically, in many families, an extroversion's dream and an introvert's nightmare. Like (laughs) the big multi-extended family celebrations and the pre-dinner, the dinner, the breakfast, the hike, the right, all the events, volleyball, right. the like all <laughs> of the rituals. And we always talk about, hey, it's okay to step out. It's okay to choose, have boundaries, choose which ones you're going to be a part of, choose which ones you're not, and communicate why so people don't take offense. Because of course, right. in these holiday situations, there's a lot of can be tensions and emotions and the traditions. And it's okay to say, you know what, I really love being with everyone, but the way I am, I just need to choose the parts that I'm a part of so I could be really present and not overwhelmed. And that's a great connection. And own it in a way with communication. So anyone listening now, if you want more on this, yeah, you know, go back kind of through our back catalog and our holiday episodes the last couple of years. I think we have addressed um, some questions around some of these similar topics. The other Laura, observation here is because I am not someone with the initials doctor in front of my name, nor do I have any degrees, I would want to say, taking a kind of your lead, that where are these words and labels coming from that, you know, there are a lot of social media experts and wellness people, you know, we love social media here, but, you know, make sure you're not self-diagnosing things and you know there are so many nuances and gray areas that yeah i mean it's not black you and may white not know if your high school children are full-on extroverts or full-on introverts right. and to you know remember that we're all a mixture of lots of different things great and point that, great point you know i just i i think you just hit on it when you said these words are thrown around a lot mm-hmm. and that leads me to think about um there are a lot of places where Right. Labels and categories and things that appear to be, you know, a diagnosis are tossed around without people yeah. qualified or with degrees or that have a real life practice like you do that you know what you're talking about. And so it's kind of like, okay, you you can maybe say, I think I'm an extrovert or I think I'm an introvert, but 
Right. Don't feel stuck to these labels when, you know, it's a little more of a gray area. That's a really good point. And I think it it speaks to asking questions because um, labels, what there's that saying, um, it's like labels define and destroy something yes. like that, right? That's kind of what I, yes, yeah. I was trying to say yeah, that. Yeah. Like, I'm interrupting you. I'm right. sorry to all of our like editors listening to this, but <laughs> that's it. It's just right. once you sort of like put that on a child that's developing, I mean, that could like change their life. And, you know, you don't want to be just imprisoned by, oh, right. I can never try out for theater because I'm an introvert. Correct. And this is where I think why we should ask our kids questions. Instead, you know, like there's labels, but then what's behind the labels? So for example, hey, what, um, do you like going to concerts? Do you like going to movies? Do you like going to school um, events? Do you like going to parties, depending on your child's age, or birthday parties? Um, do you like time alone? When do you feel like it's too much? Do you feel like you don't get enough interaction, or do you feel like you get too much interaction? Like, of course, you don't want to pepper your child, but these are all questions to actually mm -hmm. find out for yourself to get a sense from your child who they are at this point in life, because it always, it can keep changing. So you can get a better understanding of who they are and help them get a better understanding of themselves and their needs so they can learn to set limits and get their needs met. That's great advice for all of us. So um, we are going to wrap up with one other question. So I think we're a little, um, the scales tipped a little on the side of we ha we've had a lot of um, girl or, you know, young people identifying as, as girls, um, for our questions and answers this week. So this one is from Facebook and it says the weather is warm where we live now in the South. Should we let our tween daughter wear whatever she wants? And <laughs> if you could define for everyone yeah, listening yeah. again, what are the tween years again? Um, what like sort yeah. of ages and then, and then I can't wait to hear your answer to this. Well, one. <laughs> tween is like, you're not a child and you're not a teenager. You're yeah, a tween, so, right? So what is that? Like often it's 12? like 10 to 12. Yeah, I always Nine think of it as 10 okay. to 12, 10-ish to 12-ish, depending on the child. You know, um, people who are mature uh, early can be a, definitely be a nine-year-old. Yeah. So this is, um, I, I relate to this, um, having two girls myself, two young women, I should say, at this point. And it's so like on the one hand, there's the question of it's warm or it's getting warmer or it's too cold for them to be wearing what they're wearing, right? Like this has the, is this warm enough clothes or, you know, should they be wearing a jacket or should they be wearing long pants um, instead yes. of shorts, tank top, whatever. Then there's the other question, which I think this might hit a little more is the, uh, the, the usual common, the new, the, the fashion and what are kids wearing these days? And kids, um, particularly girls are showing a lot of their bodies these days. And it's yes. really normal with the fashion. It's, um, something as a dad, I had to, um, get some help with from my wife about, you know, feeling okay. And like, where do you draw the line and say, you know what, mm -hmm. that's like too much versus this is what everyone's wearing. You know, when you walk, if you walk by a middle school and in most places in the country, you will see a vast majority of the females midsection. It's just common. Like it's just, and regardless of the weather. <laughs> um, yes. so yes. So the question is, can they wear whatever they want? Um, kind of. I think it depends. You know, you are still the the guides of what is beyond 
it seems inappropriate. It seems like it's not giving a message that you would think that your child, that you want them to give, or maybe that they even want to give. Um, but at the same time, there's just a lot of freedom and a lot of body positivity, which is actually great mm -hmm. of people with all different types of bodies being proud to wear what everyone else is wearing. So I'm leaning on the side of, yeah, like at this age, this is identity development. She wants to wear what other people are wearing. Um, she wants to feel good about her body. And we want kids, girls particularly, to feel good about their bodies. So I'm leaning towards mostly yes. What about you, mom? Yes. I'm also, I'm cheering again yeah, this time yeah, a little more yeah. in case this makes the video cut. Um, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I have a daughter and a son. I think it's really just right. If something really feels inappropriate, that's one thing. You know, if it's just, okay, how are you going to wear that skirt to school? If you have to bend down, you know, it's not appropriate. It's You're going to be embarrassed. It's more of, you know, just if they're not crossing those lines with just not realizing they're not covered where they need to be, but otherwise, and violating, you know, a lot of schools have dress codes all over the country. Um, uh, other than that, I agree with everything. I love the body positivity. I think, you know, we have to continue to battle against this culture of only the thin people can wear the stuff that they see, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the fashion magazines or on Instagram or TikTok. And um, I do think this next generation is more. Um, embracing of all types, sizes and shapes and yes you know why not wear that the crop top kind of bearing a little bit of the midsection is totally normal yeah and i think to support you know kind of that bonding with peers and especially mm -hmm. you know if this is about um a tween daughter you know, wanting to feel like she's shopping with her friends and they're getting similar things that they like and being part of a group and um, having that identity, I think it's fun. You know, most fashion yeah. and makeup is harmless. And as a parent, you're going to know if it's really crossing a line or right. Um, again, maybe for like going to synagogue or for going to church, you know, different attire might be necessary or visiting grandparents. Maybe you might be, Oh, you know, wear this right. Right. A little bit more conservative dress, but I just think being able to embrace fashion and your look, as long as it isn't harming anyone, Yes. And I'm all for it. And agree. It gets hot, you know, early in the South. And these, yeah. these lovely young students are still in school. A lot of places have air conditioning, but some don't or it doesn't work that great. So, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, the warm weather um, tidbit as well is just like, let them go for it. And yeah, you know, it's just fashion supposed to be fun. And it's, it's let a great fashion thing. be it's a fun. Great thing. Yes. We covered a lot of topics today, Dr. Dan, and March is marching March is marching on. Yes. And I wonder uh, what our next round of questions will be. We love your questions, you guys. And remember, if you can remember, please, uh, the uh, gender is helpful, which you have been putting in, and, and the age is really helpful to us because we can hone in a little more, but we also will still be general. So um, whatever information you can give us, we love it. And uh, thank you for your great questions. Your questions are questions that everyone is wondering. So uh, there is no question that um, is not a helpful question when it comes to this Great. journey of parenting uh, our kids and parenting ourselves. 
Thanks for listening, everyone, to another bonus episode of Sitting Down with Dr. Dan. Keep sending in those questions. Thank you for being a part of our community. We love your five-star reviews. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself that guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.